Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to The Amazing World of Radio and our Christmas Eve program from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, in a moment, we're going to bring you an episode of a pretty rare series known as the Prudential Family Hour of Stars. This was a successor to the a long-time musical program that uh, Prudential uh, did, the Prudential Family Hour, uh, which was a selection of music ran through the uh, early 40s and through the war era. Uh, this was a dramatic series, and it had the idea of uh, having the same high-caliber guest stars, including Gregory Peck, who uh, narrates tonight's program. Others in that rotation included Humphrey Bogart, Barbara Stanwyck, Roger, uh, Robert Taylor, Ginger Rogers, and Betty Davis. This was an increasingly popular format at the time, and eventually it would be seen on television with the four-star playoffs. This is just one of seven episodes of this particular series that survives from the 1948-49 radio season. Before we play that, we'll be bringing you a one-minute episode of Ripley's Believe It or Not with a Christmas theme. And then we'll get this uh, episode of the Prudential Family Hour of Stars. I will state in advance that essentially we just have the story portion, so no commercials, no introductions or interviews. So after uh, Ripley's uh, Believe It or Not, uh, stand by for the Lullaby of Christmas, original air date, December 19th, 1948. Truth is stranger than fiction. This is the proof. This is Ripley's. Believe it or not. Count Nesselrode was foreign minister of Russia for 40 years, yet he never learned to speak Russian. Believe it or not. In a moment, I'll tell you about a floating Christmas present. In December 1940, Mrs. A.E. Gadsby of Niagara Falls, Canada, mailed a Christmas parcel to her daughter in Prestwick, Scotland. The ship carrying the mails was torpedoed off the west coast of Ireland. But a favorable tide floated the package and unerringly cast it ashore on the beach of Prestwick. The contents were soaked, but perfectly usable. The address was still legible, and the package was delivered two days after Christmas. Believe it or not. This story is as old as Christmas, and yet it's neither remembered nor told except by the tongueless ones, the water, the wind, the rain, and the snow by the grasses, the trees, the rocks, and the earth. 
They've told the story for almost 2,000 Christmases past. They'll still be telling it 2,000 times, 2,000 Christmases to come. The story of the tongueless one. Whenever someone looked in his direction and bellowed, A.U., he came running because he was eager to please. But A.U. wasn't his name. No one knew from whence he came or when or how or why. He may have been a forlorn and useless bit of jetsam from one of the caravans that were forever appearing and disappearing like mirages, with camel bells clanking and drivers howling for right of way through the narrow and crowded roadways of Bethlehem. He might have been eight or he could have been nine. A childish collection of angles and knobs with an animated pipe stem on each corner for an arm or a leg. His clothing was a rat's nest of tattered rags, and his bobbing head was perched on his scrawny little neck like a fledgling heron on one leg. And yet there was something appealing in his dark eyes, something about his cherub's mouth that unlocked the heart and made passers-by stop and ask his name. But when A.U. tried to answer, the inquirer always hurried off. He'd been amused or shocked to learn that the child had some affliction that made him dumb. And from out his cherub's mouth, instead of words, would come a horrible deformity of sound. A scourging, piercing, ear-scraping babble of howls and braying gibberish. Yes, A.U. was without the gift of speech. And at night, in the stable of the inn where he made his bed, he would think of all the beautiful magic words he'd like to say. Just suppose, just suppose a miracle should take place during the night. And tomorrow morning, he could walk over to that stall and say... Good morning, Mr. Cow. Oh, wonderful. Hello, Mr. Sheep. Oh, magnificent morning. He could say anything and everything that he wanted to say. He could even tell the innkeeper that his name wasn't A.U. Why, that wasn't a name. It was only a careless way of shouting, Hey, you! Hey, you! My name isn't A. U. Hey, don't you hear me? Hey, you! My name's Ezekiel. stupendous, overwhelming thing of all, he'd be able to sing, sing with every word and note so sweet and clear and perfect that everyone in Bethlehem would stand rock still to listen. He'd be able to sing with the other children when they played their games. Yes, and he'd be able to sing right along with the foreign music maker, the one with the lyre and the tame bear, who walked the roadways and sang for coins. Oh, a babbling maiden will hasten the hours with kisses of honey and cinnamon flowers. And at night at the inn, when the innkeeper and his guests were overflowing with wine and song, he'd never need to hide. Why, he could stand right by the fire and listen, because he could sing much better than anyone there. Oh, fill the bowl. And so each night, before A.U. closed his eyes, he said a prayer for the gift of speech and song, and faithfully promised, if God saw fit to grant these great blessings, that he would always speak words that were kind, gentle, and reverent. 
and he would always sing songs that were beautiful, joyful, and harmonious. Then he burrowed deeper in the hay, warm and content in his belief that in the morning when the rising sun reached through the doorway and woke him up, he would open his eyes, and then he'd open his mouth, and very loudly and thankfully he'd say, Oh, thank you, God. Thank you very much. Morning after morning, God disappointed him. And when months of mornings had vanished into Egypt, Au knew he would always be as voiceless as a tumblebug, as a wood tick, as a worm. Then Au resolved that he would never again open his mouth to make people laugh at him. And he made himself almost invisible as he went about his tasks and errands. Darting from dark corner to darker entry, scurrying from sunless alleyway to shadowy passage. Then, when his work at the inn was done, he would trudge out of Bethlehem and wander the fields and hills. Travelers sometimes wondered when they saw his lonely little figure against the sky, and none of them could know that he wasn't lonely anymore. Why, he couldn't be lonely among friends. For he discovered that a brook could chatter and prattle and sing to him. And if he answered, or even if he sang, the brook didn't care a ripple that the sounds he made were harsh and unmusical. It went right on, singing as joyfully as ever. Yes, and the winds were forever whispering or humming. Sometimes they shook the trees, and the trees tossed their great limbs and made every leaf and twig join in with the singing. So Ayu sang, too. And the trees didn't care, and the winds didn't care. And neither did the rain when it thrummed on the rocks or strummed through the tall grasses. Even though he shrieked and howled, the rain never slackened a single drop of melody. It went right on, just as though his horrible din was the most sublime music it had ever heard. And then Au would lie on the ground and listen to the small, faraway voices—the little voices deep in the ever-moving, ever-singing earth itself. The song they sang was very sweet, but so faint and distant he could never learn the melody. And so, listening to his friends, the tongueless ones, Au would fall fast asleep. And in the days that followed, he was a little scarecrow stuffed with happiness. He was stuffed so full that it inflated his scrawny chest, puffed out his stringy neck. And stuck out of his eyes and his ears and his nose and his mouth. This friendship with the tongueless ones was so far above the miracle he'd asked for in his prayers that Au took a long time every night to thank God for his generosity. He thanked Him so meticulously and particularly and abundantly that his small fingers developed a cramp, and on each round knobby knee was a round knobby callus. And then, without the slightest warning at all, came the dreadful day. It began with the innkeeper kicking at the mound of hay where Au slept and bawling. Au, 
Come out and get to work, you gibbering wealth of appealing camel. On your feet, voiceless cut of a goat, or I'll slice out your useless tongue and set it for tallow. Then at mid-morning of the dreadful day, when A.U. stuck one eye around the kitchen door to beg for his breakfast, the innkeeper's wife doused him with slimy dishwater and screamed. Don't come grunting and squealing at my door, you miserable throat-sprung gutter rubbish. Take your pig patter to the swill trough and eat with the rest of the swine. And in the dreadful day's afternoon, as A.U. was racing through Bethlehem on one of his endless errands, a tired thong snapped on his sandal. And the sandal went skittering through the air and fell on the proud and helmeted head of a swaggering centurion. The centurion plucked A.U. out of the crowd by his rags and held him at arm's length, demanding his name. When A.U. tried to answer, but only squeaked and squawked, the centurion shook him and bellowed... Look at me, you voiceless offshoot of a dribble-mouthed alley rat. Ever again, you foul my eyes, I'll send you to Rome to feed the emperor's lions. And during the rest of the dreadful day's afternoon, no matter how fast A.U. ran, the story of his affliction and humiliation was always a street, an alley, or even a doorway ahead of him. He seemed to run through a forest of pointing fingers that threatened to pin him to a wall. Following hot on his heels raced a swarm of children who hooted and sang at him. And that night, as the dreadful day neared its end, A.U. was kept late at his tasks at the inn. Anyone could believe that half the known world had journeyed to Bethlehem, and the inn's great beams appeared to quiver with the clamor of wine-loosened tongues and the clangor of bawdry laughter. <laughs> A.U.'s tired, trembling legs carried him about with staggering armloads of steaming bowls and slopping mugs. Feet tripped him up, hands slapped his ears to ringing, and knees jolted his aching ribs. The one who discovered and recognized A.U. was a huge mountain of a man whose eyes rolled like quicksilver in their beds of jellied fat. One hairy paw brushed a crumb of stew from his beard, while the other fastened on A.U.'s hair and lifted him to the tabletop. Then he brayed to the listening ears. Hockey, my friends! Behold what I've captured for your examination. Its mother was a whooping mudsucker. Its father a low-born maggot. And this is what came oozing out of the egg that was left. The hatch and the dung heap. <laughs> oh, but you must not laugh, my friend. The centurion made it chirp today. And it has a wondrous golden voice that almost breaks the heart while angels weep in ecstasy. <laughs> Tell me, would you like to hear it sing? Yeah! Hear, slime of the monkey? Will you sing or shall I slit your tongue like a crow so you can speak like a human? Sing! Sing, I tell you! Sing! tried to sing, and at every tuneless howl, the crowd shouted its mockery. At every unmelodious screech, it roared its derision. At every discordant squeak, it loosed a thunderbolt of laughter that crashed and splintered on his head. 
His legs had no more strength than a blade of grass. His heart was a senseless, throbbing thing. And his mind was fear, and his body was shame, and his blood was tears. But he went on and on until the crowd had rung the last outstanding guffaw, the final satisfying chuckle, the ultimate forced snigger from his wretched little body. And when it released him, he ran blindly off through the dark labyrinth of Bethlehem, a terror-stricken shadow racing for the quiet hills and the warm, comforting voices of the tongueless one. But tonight there were no voices for you to hear. Even though he held his breath, he could hear no sound from the tongueless one. The brook was silent, the winds were mute, the grasses still. And every tree and limb and twig and leaf was motionless and quiet. Then Ayu howled and croaked and tried to make the tongueless ones answer him. But they remained silent and waiting. And he screamed and babbled and pleaded. But the tongueless ones were all silent while they waited and listened. Just listened and waited. This was the dreadful end of the dreadful day. And deserted by his only friends, Ail threw himself down and buried his face, his misery, and his tears in the moss. After a while, he fell asleep. And as he slept, a great white star rose through the silence of the night to stand and shine its clear, bright light on Bethlehem. Close to morning when Ayu returned to the inn, he tiptoed across the frosty stones of the dark courtyard and crept into the stable. For a moment, his fear held him motionless, for the stable was bathed with a bright glowing radiance that flowed like molten sunlight over a man and a woman and the manger where a child was cradled. Neither the man nor the woman appeared surprised to see Ayu. It was almost as though they'd expected him to come and were waiting. So he stole nearer, and the child lifted small hands and smiled at him. Then Ayu felt that he must speak to this child, so he whispered, Hello, Dad. And the words Ayu spoke were as clear and melodious as the water of the brook. Then he said, Hello, child. And the words that came from Ayu's lips were as sweet as the winds, as perfect as each raindrop, and as soft as the long, flowing grasses. never to speak until this moment, and why the tongueless ones of God's world of water and earth and air had all sung to him, and why tonight they had all been still and silent and waiting. Now the waiting was over. Now they were his voice, and he was their tongue, and his was their song to the child in the manger.
story is as old as Christmas. And yet it's neither remembered nor told except by the tongueless one. The water, the wind, the rain, and the snow. By the grasses, the trees, the rocks, and the earth. This Christmas they will tell their story again, as they've told it for almost 2,000 Christmases past. The few ears that hear will wonder at the strange, childlike quality in the voices of all the storytellers. But that's so very easy to understand. It's the bright, joyful, exultant tone of the boy who sang for them one early morning, one Christmas morning in Bethlehem. Welcome back. Well, a very beautiful and moving Christmas story. And you definitely feel for Ezekiel as he goes uh, through this story. It's definitely an ordeal, but with a really uh, beautiful ending. So I definitely enjoyed this, and I was glad to bring this sort of uh, long-forgotten Christmas story to you, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and wish you a Merry Christmas. And uh, we intend to be with you again on the amazing world of radio in just about two months for Washington's birthday. And then we'll get right into our spring series. You won't want to miss it as we celebrate Jack Webb's 100th birthday. And that all starts in February. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, if you do have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off. <laughs>